Hello and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. The term startup sounds sexy. Entrepreneurs sound exciting. Online sounds ominous and marketing well sounds menacing. Today we explore the bright and dark side to running your own business. Taking Care of Business today is made possible by our friends at the EVU Group, Australia's first multi-brand real estate network. Now this statistic, statistics always are a bit scary, uh, but it actually gets people's attention. But did you know that 92% of tech startups fail in the first three years? We keep hearing figures about small businesses failing in the first three years, and it's anywhere between, I don't know, 60 to 85%, the numbers do vary, but they are extraordinarily and shockingly high. And I think it's something we should be talking about more. Why are small businesses failing so much. Then I looked at this figure, 92% of tech startups fail in the first three years. And that is really frightening. And I can't help but think, is there a link between that and people starting their own business? There's certainly a rise in the amount of people starting their own business. Everyone seems to be an entrepreneur now. Is there a connection or correlation between that and the rise in mental illness? I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. I tweeted that yesterday. I uh, just sort of I was thinking about it in prep for today. And again, mental, mental illness and mental health Awareness is something we should all be talking about as well. So I think it's something particularly in business that we need to be concerned about because these 92% uh, leave their founders burnt out, alone, fatigued, and it's a real sort of culture of failure. Uh, but that doesn't have to be the norm, we hope. And we actually had a guest by the name of Jamie Pride, who was our first guest up. And unfortunately, this morning, he has let me know that he's sadly had a death in the family. So we wish Jamie well, and, and we'll get him back on another time. But I just wanted to mention that he has written a book called Unicorn Tears. It's a great book. It's Why Startups Fail and How to Avoid It. Now, Jamie actually lived through the mental and financial pain of startup failure and he shared his inside of you and knowledge in his book so he actually claims startup failure is preventable and why it's called unicorn tears because the eight percent which is the eight percent that is successful is they're called unicorns because it's actually really hard to get a successful startup and so those that are doing really well are good on them because it's it's really hard it's really hard to, to do it but also you need support and I know when I've had many guests on the show have done a startup and I asked them about you know looking back at the benefit of hindsight what would you have done differently and they've all said the same thing and the consistent thing they've all said is I wish I knew about the startup community I wish I'd, I got some help and there's startup Victoria there's lots of different startup communities now you don't always have to go to Silicon Valley uh, in Frankston which is just down the road here from Ardabal PFM there's a great place called the Frankston Foundry which is a real startup hub for entrepreneurs. Uh, so there's lots of help out there. So please, if you are looking at starting a tech startup or startup or starting a business, don't do it on your own. Please get help. And the other thing that I would recommend, and this is me again, I'll hang on, just get my soapbox because I do like to get that out every now and then, actually not every now and then, quite often, to be honest. Uh, 
I'm I'm involved in these as most of us would be on Facebook and you you join these groups and the groups might be a business forum or a women in business forum or an entrepreneurial forum or startup group uh, and you know people throw ideas around and ask questions anyone recommend this person to do this or that what apps and and, and I think that's really great because that's all part of that community and collaboration which I think is key to success but be very, very careful. Those that I, I read one yesterday, the day before, said, oh, "I've got a new business idea. This is what I'm thinking of doing," and it was, I don't know, she was doing gift cards or something, and put some ideas. Um, I'm thinking of going into the gift card business. Here's some of my work. Do you think it's a good idea? I start a business in this. That was it. That was the post. Absolutely frightening. I had to actually pull my finger away from my phone to respond to her to say, "Listen." You know, if, if, if that's part of your research, fantastic, good. But don't make that your sole part. Make sure you've done your other research to go, is there a gap in the market? I think gift cards, there is a very crowded marketplace. So have you done your research to go, okay, who's going to buy this? So put your, put yourself in the shoes of the customer. Have a think about what it is that from their perspective. Another post that I read recently uh, is I also am a member of anaphylaxis and allergy aware. And those that don't know, I actually have an anaphylactic reaction to peanuts. I've had that my whole life and I've managed that quite well because I'm still here and never had to use my EpiPen, touch wood, touching my head as, we, as I'm talking to you now. And there was a post from the anaphylaxis uh, Facebook page yesterday or the day before and it was from this guy and he had been to a restaurant in uh, Dramana, I think it was. It was down here. And he walked into the restaurant and they, they seated him down at the table and they said to him, now, has anyone here got any, any allergies or any, uh, any issues? And he was so impressed by their proactive approach to it. He wrote this wonderful post and wonderful review about the restaurant. Then as you got to the end of his post, he then went on to say that he was in a restaurant with his wife. His wife had an anaphylactic reaction to something and died at the restaurant. Oh, goodness. It was, that's pretty heavy. And so I then thought, and then I would respond to him, which I did. But there's all, I was reading all the other responses and people were saying, oh, people don't take it seriously and people don't do this and people don't do that. And then my response was, I suppose, from my marketing brain and my business brain, I, this was my experience. This is how I get attention about an issue like that is I look at it from the customers or the person I'm speaking to's perspective. So if I walk into a cafe or a restaurant and I speak to a waitress or a waiter, now they could be a professional waiter or waitress or they could be, you know, a student um, doing some work over the holidays. Rather than me say, I have an anaphylactic reaction to peanuts. I can't hardly even spell the word anaphylaxis. So how can anyone expect to understand what this enormous big word is if you've never experienced it before? It's really hard to get empathy for something if you haven't experienced it or had someone close to you experience it. So I think of it from their perspective. I go, okay, if I have a reaction, how's it going to impact them? So I describe it as a death allergy. And that certainly gets attention most of the time, as you could imagine. And, and that's a really good place to start. And then if I see their reaction is, is appropriate to my, uh, my comfort levels or my confidence, then I would then 
leave it at that and uh, and then explain I have anaphylaxis to peanuts and blah, blah, blah. And I usually say all nuts uh, just to keep it safe. And then if I'm still feeling there a little bit, not quite getting it, I then go the next step and then I say to them, you know, I don't think the other guests will appreciate or you wouldn't like having one of, you know, um, one of your clients die here in front of you or that you'll have to call an ambulance and the paramedics will have to be working on me. I don't think that'll be a very pleasant experience for you or for your patrons. I don't think your boss would be very happy about that. So I actually look at it from their perspective. And I think that's what businesses, and we all need to do that a, a bit more often, I think. I think sometimes from a business perspective, we can be a little bit too introspective. And I think this, uh, back to this dark and bright side of running your own business, that is sort of the dark side, but it's sort of like the side that's not talked about enough in my, in my humble opinion. The other thing too is that some things you can't plan. Obviously, um, Jamie Pride could, didn't plan that this, this morning. And, uh, as I said, we wish him well and look forward to having him on again. But some things you can plan. And one of the things you can plan is, is a plan, is some sort of marketing plan, some sort of business plan, and certainly a brand plan. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, if you want to be seen as an expert, if you want to be seen as a thought leader, then you need a personal brand or you need what I call a corporate character profile or a brand profile. It's about which parts of you do you want your customers or your audience or your clients or your guests, whatever name you want to refer them to, which bits of you do you want them to see and which bits do they want to see? And only pick a couple of bits and then that becomes part of your brand. I think that's really, really important to think about. Uh, now, if you go onto my LinkedIn profile, there's an article I wrote back in February, and it was all about hurry up and get to the point about why we all have a personal brand. And just a little story, and our brain likes stories uh, because we do uh, attach associations with stories and we can relate to stories because it taps in to some emotion. But if you think about somebody you haven't met and your friend says, oh, you really need to meet Julie or you really need to meet John, you really like them. And you say, well, what are they like? And your friend will say, oh, they're really funny or they're hilarious or they're really clever or they're really smart or they're whatever. They'll describe them. And if you think about the words that they use to describe or words that you use to describe someone, they're quite often emotional words. You might throw in, oh, they're really tall or they're really old or they're really young. You might do something like that. But they're quite often an emotional, emotional words. And that's part of your brand. So if you could actually design rather than by default, because we will make up our own mind anyway. It's so default or design you choose. I hopefully you'll choose design. Think about the design from your business's perspective, how your customers perceive you. I think that's a really, really important part. Anyway, I am going to finish my little editorial now and we are going to have a short break. Now on the other side of this break, we've got three other awesome guests today. We have Sarah Connolly, who's going to talk about product of the year and she started 
her own business and wait to hear about this. It's really awesome. We also have online marketing guru Bernadette Schwert on and a lot of you may have seen or heard Bernadette. She has got amazing YouTube video. Uh, she's, she's really incredible. So if you haven't heard of her, look her up, follow her on social media, have a look on YouTube. She's got some incredible stuff on how to, I suppose, understand the power of digital marketing and being online. And then to finish off, because I like to get the crystal ball out, which sits right next to my soapbox. We have trend forecaster Michael McQueen, and he's going to give us an insight into the future of business and trends and forecast what we all should be paying some attention to. So we look forward to your company for the rest of this show, and we're going to take a short break and be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Good to have you with us today. We are talking about the bright and dark side to running your own business. And many of you may have heard of Product of the Year. It's voted by consumers that recognises product innovation and has been running for 32 years in over 35 countries. Our next guest single-handedly launched the Global Awards System, Product of the Year Australia, into the Australian market. Sarah Connolly, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Great, good, much better for talking to you. (laughs) Congratulations on doing that. Now, you had a background in advertising and then you jumped into launching this product of the year into the Australian market. Just tell us how that happened. Um, Well, I went on maternity leave. I was working in in magazine advertising um, and then I moved to TV advertising and then I fell pregnant. I had some time off with my first son and I was just looking for something a bit different. I really wanted to choose my hours. Um, I wanted flexibility and I came across this concept um, overseas and thought this is fabulous for Australia. We haven't got it here. And it kind of ticked all the boxes for me in that um, I had all the contacts from my previous roles Mm. and all that experience in, in working with marketing and advertising. But um, it also gave me that flexibility that I was after as, as a young mum. And I'm sure it gave you some surprises as well from, from going from, I suppose, the corporate world into running your own business. What were some of those key learnings? I think the main thing that I would say would be that I initially didn't trust my instincts on a lot of things. And over the years, I've really learned to listen to my gut feel on on business decisions. And I have to say... It's made an extraordinary difference, not just to the business, but also to how I feel about working. It's a harder job to work on your own and have your own business and work from home, and it's definitely not for everyone. Um, But you have to learn discipline, uh, focus. Um, Gosh, yes, massive learning curve, massive learning curve. Did you surprise yourself? Like, were there some parts of your personality that you weren't aware of? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I think I'm a lot more, um, I'm a lot more harsh in many respects in business than I am in my personal life. Mm. So I'm, I'm very unemotional when it comes to business decisions, but in personal life, I'm, I'm almost the opposite. So I was really surprised at how I could really look at the business in a very different way um, and be quite strategic in my thought processes, whereas in my personal life, I'm a lot more led by my emotions. Um, and I think as well, just um, in terms of my ability to do things, you know, the more you're stretched, the more you're pushed, the more you find out where your edges are and, and what you are not, aren't capable of or comfortable with. 
Yeah. And so did you get some help? Did you have a coach or a mentor to sort of help you through that? Um, I've always worked very closely with the man who runs the advertising agency that I used to work for. And he's given me so much inspiration. He's a great man. And um, his name's Mark Silcox and he runs Now Screen. And he's always had really good advice. So it's always great when you run your own business, it can be pretty lonely. Mm. Um, so to have somebody just that when you just need somebody to talk to and get some guidance, then he's always been there for me. So I've been very lucky. Yeah, I think that almost uh, someone that you trust but have a mirror um, can, can give you a bit of a fright. But I think sometimes you really do need that, particularly when you're working on your own and running your own business. 100% couldn't agree more. I think it's so powerful when somebody can see things that you can't see and has the um, the kindness to point them out in the nicest possible way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually prefer them to sort of hit me over the head with a baseball bat, but it's all about, <laughs> it's all about different styles, I suppose. Uh, now, let's talk about Product of the Year Australia. I find this really interesting. Now, how long ago did you start it in Australia? So it was 2009 oh. when I launched the award so we're actually in our 10th year this year which is really exciting very exciting well congratulations so let's talk a little bit about that and what it actually is and what does it what does it mean so product of the year is an award that companies that make new products are keen to win because when they win they get to use our red logo which is globally recognized and therefore, when people are in the shops, supermarkets looking for the best new products and they see the logo, it gives them that guide that that product's been tried and tested by lots of other shoppers like themselves. So essentially, it's a really powerful marketing tool for manufacturers. And for the shopper, it's a really great, you know, when you see, I always give the example of the gold sticker on the bottle of wine. Um, it's like that, but on the grocery product. So you can go, okay, that's a great product. And it's I'm looking at 100 shampoos, which one shall I try? And you see the logo and you think, okay, that's being voted for product of the year, so I'll give that one a go. Okay, so it's almost based on the, the, the referral system, I suppose, with social media and trust that other people have tried it and they've recommended it. So then that gives me a bit more confidence to, to give it a go? Exactly. And, and the votes for the winning products are cast by shoppers. So we survey over 13,000 Australian shoppers every year and they decide which products win. So we have nothing to do with making that decision. We ask the Australian grocery buyers and that's why it's so powerful because it's voted for by the people that are actually out there buying and using the product. Now it's particularly powerful with boutique brands that don't have a huge a huge budget. So yes. how can a boutique brand with a boutique budget turn themselves into household names? Oh, that's the magic question. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask it. <laughs> well, look, no, no, it, it, it's a great question and it's one that I think we're all trying to work out the answer for. Um, and sometimes, you know, you get surprised by some brands that do really well and others that don't. And I think that there's so much around being really clear on who it is that you're targeting and really focusing on that audience in the best possible way with the resources that you have. So social media is fabulous. Um, it's made it so much easier for people to do that without spending huge amounts of money. Um, where product of the year comes in for the more boutique brands is ultimately they want to get ranged in the retailers, you know, the big retailers, the Coles, the Woolworths. And because they're also big advocates of product of the year, if you're a boutique brand and you go on to win product of the year, 
when you go and have those conversations, it really does help. So we've had smaller brands get ranging in coals off the back of winning product of the year. And ultimately, to become a household name, you really do need to be in coals or water, or both, ideally. Yeah. Now, I noticed, um, just to talk about some case studies, because I always find that good for people to relate to, sure. uh, Birch and Weight, an artisan food brand, had a bit of a sales lift. Yes, so Birch and Weight have been regular participants in products of the year, and I'm, I know that they've had a couple of, uh, quite a few wins over the last um, three years. They've had, uh, I think it was, I don't know if you have the percentage there, I don't actually have it. In 33, 33% sales lift. Yes, and that's really quite a big deal for a small, mm. um, a smaller brand, a smaller um, product, so... We do see generally 10 to 15% in sales lifts, but 33 is pretty pretty special. So they were very happy with that, obviously. And is it just food brands, Sarah? No, no. Um, so we sort of class it as anything that you can find in a supermarket, but the award itself is open to anybody that has a new innovation. We just find that it has, I guess, globally become more and more common just to see it in the supermarket products. We leave the the higher value stuff to choice, so the, you know the washing machines and things like that. Mm. Um, but for us, it's mostly supermarket products, and on the odd occasion, we do get entries for some really exciting innovations. In fact, we've got one this year for a cot, um, which is really an amazing innovation. So we're hopefully going to be able to to do some research for them this year and have a winner in in that category. Do you have you thought about? I'm sure you have, but what about service of the year, or is that something that's not that's too far of a stretch for your brand? Look, there is a customer service of the year award that exists. Well, there's quite a few actually that exist in Australia, and the owners of product of the year have actually got customer service of the year in some of the countries. I did do uh, a due diligence around whether or not it was something we wanted to look at in Australia, mm. and it just seemed at the time not really viable um, because we would have to uh, obviously pay franchise fees to the owners and all that sort of stuff, and there is actually quite a strong competition here in Australia in that space. So, yeah, at this stage... We're not looking at that at the moment. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, services like accounting firm, but professional services or uh, consultants or even advertising agencies or something along those. But you're right, it's probably a bit saturated, that market from the award side of things. So those that are listening that have got an innovation, they've got a product that they're thinking, well, this sounds interesting. I hadn't really thought about this before. What should they do? Well, the first step is to go to our website, which is productoftheyear.com.au, and if they go to the FAQs, they'll find out what the product needs to demonstrate in order to be considered. Um, first and foremost, we do need products that are nationally available, so that can often rule out some of the really new products. Yeah. Um, because we are a national award, we don't want to have winners that people can't find in the, you know in the shop. Mm, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that's probably the first step. And then if they meet the criteria, it's pretty much a very simple entry process. It's online. It takes about 10 minutes. And once they've entered, we will be in touch with them with the next step. Wonderful. Sarah Connolly from Product of the Year, thank you so much for your valuable time today. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you too. You're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on Ardo PFM. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about the bright and dark side of starting a business. And sometimes you just got to have that attitude, whatever it takes. That was Imagine Dragons, great song. So let's, let's set the scene. You've got a crazy idea or you've got a fledging business. You want to take it online and you want it to be a money-making success. But what do you do next? Our next guest is a digital marketing specialist and best-selling author. She's got a new book out simply titled How to Build an Online Business. Welcome to the show, Bernadette Schwert. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Now, Bernadette, with your vast experience, and I did actually read all of your book. <laughs> Sometimes I don't always have time to read all the books of guests, but yours was so compelling, uh, and it actually spoke to me as 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 a marketer. Uh, it was really easy to read. And is is it your second book? It is my second book. Yes, the first one was uh, Secrets of Online Entrepreneurs. And this is taking it to the next level. You know, this is the how-to manual, if you like, whereas the first one was more an aspirational storytelling aspect of how people got started. Yeah, and I loved the way that it wasn't just about all online. You, It was all about the pre-work. It was all that sort of basic sort of mark, or for me it was basic, but, you know, that from the research and the planning and the strategy and, uh, you know, how do you solve your, your problems. But I must admit I did particularly, and I have to... Um, point out in your in the about the author section the last bit you said her mother still doesn't know exactly what she does that did make me laugh out loud well I think anyone with a portfolio career of which I have had you know when my mum is 83 you know people ask her how's Bernadette going and they ask as well what is she up to yeah. uh she's in marketing <laughs> how do you how do you summarise, you know, all the things that I do? So it does make me laugh as well. You must identify with it. Uh, yeah, well, it's funny because um, on my Twitter handle, I actually, you know, in your little bio bit, I actually put on there, Dad Dad still asks what what I do for a living or something. So I actually can completely relate to that. But let's let's get back to this online business and your new book. So what do you think is the most common problems that small business particularly have with digital marketing? What are some of the barriers or the roadblocks that they have? You actually touched on it uh, just a moment ago uh, quite accurately in the sense that just the thinking behind the planning, the the strategy in the sense that people, you know, I guess on an offline level, I see people set up coffee shops in premises where the last coffee shop failed. And I think, wow, what makes you think that your new coffee shop will do this differently? Um, so I do think people have this idea of, oh, I've got this great you know, product, I'm going to sell it to the world. I think just take a step back for a second and think, is this needed? What problem do you solve? And how will you be a little bit different to everybody else? So that, I think, is one reason why people's businesses don't succeed. But I think once you've got that sense of this is my point of difference, then you've got something to work with. And I think the technology that we are now surrounded with, um, the tools of disruption, as I call them, enable people to take that little bit of an idea or that little point of difference and really amplify it in a global sense. So I think that's the, the game changer that we're in now. Is technology is cheap, it's accessible. Social media is cheap, it's accessible. Mobile, it's fast. You know, all these disruptive tools enable us to do things very quickly. 
Yeah, it's that uh, that belief which annoys me. And I've got my soapbox out here. I always bring it into the studio and I get on it quite often. But it's like, we'll, we'll, I'll build it and they will come mentality uh, with, without actually looking for where's the gap in the market? Where's the need? Is there a need I'm responding to? Is there a pro- problem that I'm solving rather than let's create a need? I mean, you can. it's still possible, but it's much more difficult. Exactly. And there's so many ways you can test an idea now. You know, Google Trends will tell you if your keyword is trending up or trending down. You know, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, minimum viable products. You know, it could be a short course that you run. That's how I tested my copywriting school 15 years ago. Ran a short course. I figured if people enroll, there's a need. If, it, if they don't, maybe not. You know, Catch of the Day began as a market at eBay. Uh, sorry, market at a market stall. And after that success, they took it onto eBay. So there's lots of ways you can test ideas both offline and online. And I think that's worthwhile doing before you invest a lot of money into it. I think that's wonderful advice or, you know, doing a little pilot or little test to actually see if there is a need in the marketplace. Benedict, what's your view? We talked about social media just a minute ago, and in my um, editorial intro to the show today, I was talking about these Facebook groups and these business groups that they have on Facebook, and I'm, I follow quite a few. And one thing that irritates me is when I see someone, so I'm thinking of starting a new business. This is the idea. What do you think? Do you think I should start it? And they're wanting feedback from strangers effectively, and I get really frustrated with that. How do you cope with things like that <laughs> in the sense of giving feedback from asking for feedback or not be more judicious about the people you ask for feedback well i suppose it's more about people using the social media platform to test their business idea or go should i go into business or not and i just get very nervous about it to go well hang on a minute is there a need that you're feeling is it just because you're following your passion you think i love this i think i'll start a business without actually thinking about is there a market for it are they doing their their due diligence uh, and i suppose it's almost a, a short they're seeing it as a shortcut to uh, some business advice rather than actually paying for an expert. Okay. Yeah, look, I think the the concept of sharing your idea is important, you know, to actually talk about it and to put it out there and see what people say and what people think. But I think you also have to be mindful of where you put those questions out and, you, you know, pick the people you get feedback from. Mm. You know, just on a completely separate matter, I interviewed um, Christmas Cholkis, the author, and... Uh, I asked him who he gets to read his books before he publishes. And he says, I'm very specific about the people I choose to read my books before I publish. And I think it's the same with business. You know, ask the people in the target market. Ask the people who are in the zone for your business. They are the people who can comment. But I think putting it out wildly is not that helpful. It's just um, time-consuming for everybody. Yeah, I think oh, look, I certainly, I certainly agree. Sorry, I'll just move my soapbox out of the way and, and get back to talking. <laughs> got two feet on the soapbox, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly have. I, I just, I suppose it scares me because I see, I see the error. It's so, so obvious, and there's so much at stake. I want everyone to succeed. I want people to succeed in business, and I know that you do. And you've done some wonderful videos. I in prep for today, I was looking at some of your videos on YouTube, and they're absolutely fantastic so congratulations so that that video series you do was that for was that for the federal government or what was that about no no that was just self-funded i was just passionate about understanding how others had built their online businesses 
So it was really my MVP, you know, for the first book because I went out and ah. I just asked people to be a part of it. I created a pilot. I pitched it to Fairfax. They said yes. That enabled other people to be honest. You know, that was more interesting for people to be honest because it had some distribution. And that was interesting because that led to a, a stage show of entrepreneurs on stage and that led to the book, my first book. So in a way, those videos you're referring to were very much the MVP for my book. Oh, so it's I, I funny how it. things happen. Yes, well, there you go. So, I, okay, so we're great. I'm glad I noticed that. Uh, what I'll do for those listening, I'll put a link to our Facebook page of uh, the YouTube video series, and so you can have a look at what Bernadette has to say. It's uh, it's really really valuable information. Now, Bernadette, what advice would you give someone thinking about starting a business? Uh, maybe they call themselves an entrepreneur or not, but how do you develop an entrepre- entrepreneurial mindset needed to turn your passion into an online business? Yeah, I think everyone has the potential to be an entrepreneur. And I think with the uh, lowering of the barriers of entry now to building a business, it, it's accessible. And in the book, I talk about a young girl who's nine. She built an app for her sister, and the app uh, was so impressive that Apple uh, computers awarded her a scholarship to send her to America to go to a coding conference. And you think about, wow, what is that impact going to have on her career, on her thinking? She might be, you know, the next Mark Zuckerberg, if you like. So I think um, anyone can do it. It's just working out why do you want it to, you know. It's like, do you want to make a lot of money? Do you want to be, you know, a trillionaire and travel the world and have this, you know, global empire? And if so, you'll need to do things differently. Versus somebody who just wants to make a couple of grand a month maybe pay enough for, you know, for the holiday to Bali and uh, pick up the kids from school at 3 o'clock. You know, I think get your, get your ideas and your goals sorted because that will determine what you want. And also, if you want a smaller business, you can follow a passion. It might be, you know, I don't know, candle making or it might be craft or it might be cooking. Um, but if you really want a significant global empire, then you might have to choose a digital product, you know, that scales without friction and is, you know, hugely needed around the world. So I think it just depends on what you want and that will determine what products you sell. So those that are looking at starting an online business, what would be the first thing they should do? I think test it, you know, share that idea with people, get a little MVP after prototype, a market store, a short course, an app, a website, a flyer, a model, something people can see. Because, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen. Mm. And we're all going, oh, I've got this idea. And they go, yeah, yeah. Come back to me when you've got something to show. And I think when you've got something to show, people can give you feedback. And they go, you know what? That person, that's already been done. You say, well, has this bit been done? They go, no, no, that's different. So, you know, it's a give and take process. Um, and then once you've got this MVP up, if it works, if you think people are, you know, engaging with it, they like it, they, they think it's got merit, take it to the next level, invest in it. Um, you know, build that website up or invest in that bigger video series or write the book that was, you know, based on an e-book. Um, hire some people, you know, get a developer in. Invest a bit, you know, and then take it to the next level. But I also think don't underestimate the power of offline, you know, networking, talking to people, going to events. Because if you've got no customers, if you have zero on your database, you really do have to think, you know, how can I connect with collaborators and partners who could bring me an audience in? And you may not find those people online. And I do think the, the face-to-face is underestimated in this current environment. We do need to connect with people and um, find partners to work with. 
that's yeah, that's a great pearl of wisdom. I love it. The other thing I, I was very attracted to in your book, you mentioned we shouldn't launch for perfection. Tell us what you meant by that. We shouldn't launch for perfection. Oh yes, yes. Well, one of the things that happens is nobody wants to put something out to the market that's got errors in it, or it's less than perfect, or it's not representative of who they are. But the reality is, unless we do that, we won't get anything out there. And if there's nothing out there, people can't see it. And you can hold on to that idea and perfect it and make that website beautiful or that ebook perfect or, you know, that dress perfect. But until it's out there, you can't make a sale. But the minute you make the sale, bingo, you've got money, firstly. Secondly, you've got a customer, so there's a testimonial for you. Thirdly, you've got momentum. You know, you've got a little bit of a spark thinking, hey, there's, mar- there's a market here. So it's very important. It's very difficult to do, and I, I totally empathise because I'm not a perfectionist, but you, know, you want things to be done to the best you can, but you have to just short-circuit that and put it out and then fix it you know, as quickly as you can, but while it's out there marketing you in the background, start working on the next version of it. Great. Now, your new book, I'll just mention again, How to Build an Online Business, by Bernadette Schwert, we've been chatting with Australia's top digital disruptors reveal their secrets for launching and growing an online business. Highly recommend it. We will put a link to our Facebook page about that as well, Bernadette. So many links with you. But as a fellow brain picker, and I liked, I liked it also when you said when you were doing the book and the video series and you were interviewing a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, you said you had an MBA in online marketing from brain picking and that's what I've just done with with you. So thank you very much for sharing the knowledge. Oh, I really pleasure. appreciate your time. <laughs> Good to share it around. Yeah, thank it is. Well, that's right. I, I really think that we should share the knowledge. So I really appreciate it. Thank you again. Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That, of course, was The Boss and Dancing in the Dark. And a lot of businesses are dancing in the dark. And our next guest is going to shine a nice bright light as to the future of business. He is trends forecaster and author, Michael McQueen. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Great to have you here. Now, you have just written a new book, haven't you? I have, yes. It's been... It's been an exciting project, this one, because it's really looking at this whole theme of the future. And my goodness, it's, it's such an interesting time to be alive, isn't it? Like, when you think of just how much is changing, how quickly it is. And you know, I think for a lot of businesses, it's nerve-wracking, but it's actually exciting in some ways, too. Yeah, so your new book is How to Prepare Now for What's Next, mm. A Guide to Thriving in an Age of Disruption. So how do you thrive in an age of disruption? Well, I think the first thing that every individual and every business needs to do is really keep a close eye on what is changing and not to underestimate how fundamental some of the changes that are coming will be. Um, one of the encouragements I give to clients is that you need to essentially dig the well before you get thirsty. In other words, keep an eye on the horizon, be mindful of what's changing, don't wait till it hits before you adapt. Because if you wait till some of these changes hit, um, you find yourself in survival mode, not strategic mode. And so a good half of the book is looking at this whole thing of what are some of the trends that will reshape society, influence our economy. Um, I look at demographics and how consumers are changing because these are trends that will touch every business, every industry in the next few years. And certainly from what I'm seeing, many businesses are operating as if stuff is not changing as much as it is. It's almost a degree of denial. And that's an incredibly dangerous place to be operating in. Yeah, 
I think it's driven by fear. It, and that's my experience as well, Michael. It, it's, it still shocks me how businesses are still operating. And I, I'm having a bit of a joke saying, you know, 1973, they're still operating like it's there. And, and it's so not now. And uh, I know there's been a, a theme around, and I talk about disrupting yourself before mm. someone else disrupts you, but it's hard to do that on yourself. So you need some expert advice. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, I think definitely. And you're right about the fear thing. I mean, people are afraid of the future. They're afraid of change. We are, I mean, there's a reason that cliche exists for that saying that we're creatures of habit because we really are, you know, as human beings. We, we like what is safe and predictable, what, what was the same last year or five years ago, and to try and keep things in a linear fashion. And yet the problem is we're in an age where things are no longer linear, um, that the level of change is exponential. And the very nature of disruption is that it's change that is in a, a manner or a way that is unconventional, unexpected. Um, and so for many leaders, it's, it's certainly fear of the change, but also I think you just get so absorbed in the day-to-day. You know, it's easy to get so wrapped up in the urgent requirements, particularly in small businesses where you're wearing two or three or four different hats doing a lot of different roles. It's actually so difficult to sometimes zoom back and sort of look at well, what is changing and sort of get out of that the minutiae of, of operating in business. And there's a great quote I heard from a colleague of mine um, who's a professor at London Business School, a guy named Gary Hamill. He said, it is impossible to outrun the future if you don't see it coming. And oh, so that's the that's challenge right. we face. You know, how do you sort of zoom out from the day-to-day, the urgent stuff, the immediate stuff, and look at, okay, what is coming and how do I start thinking strategically about it? Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and oh, look, I think we talked about fear and emotion, such a big driver to how our brain works. And I, you know, and, and even language, you know, words like disruption, mm. uh, you know, oh, look, I think that needs a rebrand because as soon as you hear that, that word, it gets you a bit, it's a bit scary. And, and, you know, it's almost like we need to sell it to, to everyone or to business to say, you know what, this is, this is the safe journey for your business's survival. So maybe we need to, to rethink that a bit. Yeah, I think there's probably a case to be made for that. And I think, too, the reality is for a lot of us, we, we hear the word disruption and it's easy to think, well, you know, we saw it happen with the taxi drivers and Uber. You know, we know some of the, the dramatic examples of Airbnb and how that's impacted the hotel world. But really, you know, if I'm running a mortgage-broken business or if I'm a, a local accountant or a local retailer, maybe even a specialist retailer, is this really going to happen or really going to affect me as much as people keep talking about and i think that's the dangerous we in fact there's a theme called amara's law amara's law is a principle which says as human beings we tend to overestimate the impact of change in the short term but we underestimate the impact of change in the long term in other words when things don't change over the space of six months we say yes but nothing's changing without realizing if you look at a two-year three-year five-year horizon the pace of change is breathtaking but we we often get tricked because we think things aren't changing as rapidly when we look at a short-term horizon and the key message, if you look at things like artificial intelligence, um, the rise of robotic process automation, these are fundamental game changers. You look at things like blockchain and the impact that's going to have in the banking and the financial services sector. These are huge changes that will impact so many areas of society. And it's easy to, I guess, underestimate how significant they'll be. Now, you travel the world speaking. You're on the international conference circuit. How does Australia's attitude to this disruption or embracing disruption? How do we compare on a global stage? Yeah, it's a really good question. And in some industries, we're doing a great job. I mean, you look at some industries and we are ahead of other countries around the world. For instance, you look at the banking and finance sector and the technology we're using in banks in Australia is 
is a number of years ahead of the sort of technology you'll see in the US, for instance, which is surprising probably for a lot of listeners because we often think the US, you know, the home of Silicon Valley, that's where all the innovations are occurring. And you've often got big markets, though, that are very slow to adapt. I mean, if you, anyone who's listening who has um, colleagues in the US or does work in the US, I mean, they would know that people are commonly still writing checks in the States. Yeah. Um, and so... In some ways, we're doing great. We're, we're way ahead of, of many countries. There's a lot of countries we can learn from. In fact, you look at countries like um, China. is an excellent example of a country that's well ahead of us when it comes to artificial intelligence. Um, Israel, another country, company, another country that's doing a great job of innovation. Even Estonia. These are these are countries that have cultures that mean innovation's happening rapidly. And I think one of the things we need to be mindful of in Australia is that we've got a a hesitation to take risks. Um, and some of that is, is because we also have a lack of support economically and from the government to really encourage startups and encourage entrepreneurialism, um, whereas other countries encourage that at a really grassroots level. So I think we need to get a lot better at that because that is where I think a lot of the change that's going to be driven in the next few years will come from small businesses and new businesses or businesses that fundamentally reinvent themselves and take some risks. You've got, to, you've got to be supported, though, in taking risks. At the moment, we often don't have a system or a culture that, that encourages that. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Michael, so mm. get ready. If you were to start an online business now, what industry yep. would you dabble in? I reckon the most important, one of the most important industries, and probably an industry we'll see grow most, is the aged care sector. I mean, you look at our demographics, we've got an ageing population, and we've got a population of baby boomers who are ageing and are tech-savvy and expect a lot from you know service providers that they've grown up with often really great customer service and they're going into that stage of life expecting the same thing and so i think that probably the best place to be going right now is any service or product geared towards that marketplace that's going to be a growth area and it's also going to be an area we probably won't see things like artificial intelligence and robotics disrupt as much because in the day you know that whole process of say aged care as an industry it's about humans caring for humans you know robots don't do that very well because they haven't got a soul. And so I think that's certainly a sector that is, is a really important one for any business or any individual to be thinking about. Ah, that's, that's, a, that's a great tip. Michael McQueen's new book, How to Prepare for What's Next. Uh, I assume you can get it wherever books are sold, Michael. Uh, we'll Correct. put a link to our Facebook page. Thank you again for your insights. It's been absolutely fascinating, and I wish we had more time to talk. <laughs> but unfortunately, we're coming up to the 12 o'clock news. I uh, really appreciate your valuable time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Great. That was wonderful today. We've had a really great show talking about the bright and dark side of your business. And before we finish, I just have to remind everyone, the Bite Conference is coming up at Mornington on Tuesday the 29th of May. Be the shark, not the shark bait. You'll see a lot of information on our social media posts, particularly our Facebook page and the Bite Conference. It is absolutely going to be a game changer. One day out of your business wonderful value for money. I think it's the um, cheapest conference I've ever seen. So look forward to seeing you there. But I hope you've learned a lot today. Feel inspired, enjoy the show, and we look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, you know what to do. Keep taking care of your business.